Hello and welcome back to the Human Up podcast. My name is Victor Ung, and this is a podcast about developing emotional intelligence and how to use it to create more mental clarity in our lives and deepen our relationships through self awareness, empathy, and emotional management. I've been personally interested in this topic after seeing myself become. Pretty complacent and apathetic in my life and in my career. And I've noticed that I had a very adaptable nature about me and like to go with the flow, but that meant that I was sort of sitting in the backseat of my own life and just kind of letting life happen and not living with intention, not living with. Any concrete goals or desires or, or wants. And, and my excuse for that, and I think is common with a lot of people who, who live by that way,、um, was that, you know, I didn't want to focus too much on the future or, or want to plan so much or set myself up for disappointment or kind of limit myself even in, you know, what. I might be capable of doing or, or what might spontaneously happen, right?、Um, there's, there's only so much that we can prepare for or, or predict in our future. And, and maybe having too concrete of a goal might close you off in, in what might happen or, or the doors that、uh, can, can show up along the way. But my problem there was that I wasn't even preparing myself for any doors to, to open. Or if any doors were to open, I wouldn't have been ready to, to go through them. So after waking up one day, realizing that I was tired of, of just doing the same things over and over again, being in this repetitive routine and Sort of numbing myself to the different human emotions that, that we are capable of, both positive and negative, I decided to start taking more risks. I started doing things that I was really afraid of and something I probably wouldn't have ever dreamed of doing when I was younger. One of those things was starting this podcast. You know, I had so many levels of resistance in. In creating this thing, in terms of even what I want to talk about, or the format, or、um, my own like speech and、uh, voice and, and capability of speaking to these, these deep, more profound topics,、um, what other people are going to perceive, and what are people going to think about it, and all the criticism I might have. But The more I continue doing this, the more I am just so appreciative of my past self for, for doing it, for, for just jumping in and, and having the willingness to be uncomfortable and, and experience these, in a way, negative emotions. Because now what's happened is,、uh, something pretty cool within this episode. Where I talk with Sebo Shen from the Happy Asian Males podcast. This was a podcast that I found way back when,、um, and was a source of inspiration for, for launching my own podcast, for being able to, you know, develop the comfort around talking about these, these tra traditionally taboo topics. So we finally jumped on and did a little collab episode where,、um, both of us will post our recordings on each of our respective podcasts. Um, this one, we're, we're definitely going to do multiple ones. And this one was,、uh, maybe a little more focused on, on me. Uh, he was definitely asking a lot more questions of me and, and my journey. And eventually I want to record another one and really focus on them as well and, and how they've, you know, grown as both Asian Americans and as men. So we'll, Just get right into it after a message from my sponsor. 
First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I honestly have been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes Distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to, to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a, a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Sabo Shen with The Ham Podcast. It's been a while since uh, we last broadcasted, but guess what? As I promised, we're doing bigger and better podcasts. We have Victor Ung from The Human Up Podcast joining us today. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Victor? I'm doing well. And the reason we have Victor Ung on is we are doing a dual podcast. So check this out. Subscribe to The Human Up Podcast as well. You'll get another angle, another flavor of many of the things that we like to talk about. But um, the reason why we're talking with Victor today is, well, you know, he had written us an email. I don't know how long ago, over a half a year ago. And he was telling us, you know, he's listened to the podcast. He liked what we were talking about and that he was starting his own podcast. And he sent me the link. And I sat on it for a few months, and once I got some free time, I uh, started listening to the podcast. And there was one podcast in particular. Um, you were basically reading uh, a blog post that you had written, and for some reason, it just really touched me that day. And I literally pulled over. Um, I got out, or not got out, but I got my cell phone. I sent you an email. I was telling you how much I, I loved the podcast and how much it resonated with me. And, and here we are today, you know, talking to each other. That's, that's awesome. That's a really cool story, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I really was interested and loved your guys' podcast in, in just the topics that you're talking about and definitely inspired me to start, you know, voicing out my my experience and story as well. So it's kind of cool to see this kind of come full circle in a way. So. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, cool to be here. And, and you know what, for me, and it's not to say that I don't have any more problems because I obviously do. But, you know, for myself, you know, I'm 42 years old right now. I was an Asian American studies major at UCLA from 1997 to 2000 when I graduated. And, you know, I was admittedly a very angry Asian male back then. And for the next, you know, 10 to 15 years or so, you know, was basically pointing my fingers, blaming society, blaming everyone other than myself for my own happiness and success. And somewhere along the ways, you know, I became much more comfortable with myself, um, with being an Asian American male and almost to the point where um, I didn't see myself at, or I didn't identify myself as an Asian American male. I just identified as a male and I almost found myself not wanting to talk about Asian American stuff anymore because I had, you know, in my own mind and experience, you know, kind of, I think moved past that. But in reality, you know, what it was, was my life had gotten better and I had moved past a lot of these issues, but society hasn't moved past a lot of these issues. And that's yeah. why it's important to continually talk about them. And that's why when I heard your podcast, you know, it, it took me back, you know, to a place where I remember feeling all those things, the insecurities, not feeling good enough, not feeling like other women that weren't Asian would find me remotely attractive. And, you know, it reminded me of like why I was so passionate about starting the podcast with, with Brandon, because, you know, admittedly I said, you know, I was an angry Asian male and I was like, man, when I met Brandon, I was like, here's this really cheerful, happy guy, really comfortable in his skin. And, you know, I wanted to talk to him about his journey and, you know, and that's what we really focused on. And I think over the last two years, as we did the podcast, you know, we've, we've obviously evolved and turned into different people and different things were important to us, but be that as it may, I felt like, you know, 
I don't know how old you are. You look quite a bit younger than me, but you know, generations younger than myself, you know, grew up in a different time, faced different challenges, but I would assume still, still things that were very difficult to overcome. And, you know, that's why I wanted to chat with you to kind of hear a little bit more about your journey, what you've been doing and, you know, kind of how you've been improving yourself and how that's actually um, kind of played out in your life. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I know it's, I have that Asian baby face, so it's always, <laughs> it looks younger than I am, but, um, but anyway, I, my, I, yeah, I guess we can kind of get into it. My, my journey has been, um, uh, definitely a roller coaster. Uh, you know, I've coming from an immigrant family where, you know, both of my parents are, have, uh, kind of immigrated to America in their teens, um, and, and actually met here as well. Uh, you know, having that two different cultures and two different backgrounds was really interesting to balance as, um, as I'm sure many Asian Americans are familiar with. Right. So, um, but I think my, my family has been a little bit different too, where my dad was very, he just very much loved American culture. He assimilated quite quickly, um, and really loved the idea of entrepreneurship and wanting to, you know, start businesses around that. He even owned his own nightclub back in the day. Um, and then my mom's side and family was a, a little more traditional and a little more, um, you know, they valued a lot of the, the Asian traditions, which is, you know, again, I'm not saying that this is, you know, right or wrong or anything. It's just two different sides. Right. And so from from my end, um, I think having that being sort of split in between those two just very different ideas and philosophies um, honestly created a lot of disconnection or, or misalignment in in, in who I was and where I should follow, you know, like, should I be more Asian? Should I be more American? Should I maybe do my own thing? Um, and you know, I, I'm curious. So it sounds like, you know, both your parents, you said came over here in their teenage years. Um, your father seemed to want to assimilate a lot more, whereas your mom wanted to retain more of the culture, you know, as you were growing up, were you kind of like siding with dad more and wanting to fit in? Or were you like, no, mom's right. We should, we should, we should bring Chinese food to school and, and show everyone, you know, all of our cultural diversity and, and awesome ethnic things about our, our, our race. Right. I, I think growing up, unfortunately, I, I wasn't as much on the, the Asian side of things, right? Like going to American schools, seeing all like I was, I went to predominantly white schools as well. So, you know, sticking out like that was something I I didn't want, you know, and, and so like, I naturally also wanted to kind of, you know, keep my head down and, and stay away from people, keep out of other people's way. And, uh, and so in terms of that, I, I, yeah, I definitely tried to blend in as much as I could. Um, and where did, did you grow up in Washington or where did you grow up? Yeah. Born and raised in Seattle. Um, all my life. I lived in China for a couple of months, but that's as far as I, I've done in, in terms of international living. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, I grew up in San Francisco. You grew up in Seattle. These have very large um, Asian communities within both of these cities. And I often think, you know, when I complain about these things of not fitting in or feeling like I was singled out, things like that, you know, I was like, wow, you know, I live in a place where, you know, there's a lot of Asians and you still kind of feel like this. So just imagine if you were one of the Asians that grew up in Mississippi or Maryland or Arkansas, where you just didn't see another Asian face around. So, Oh man. Yeah, definitely. So I was curious, uh, what about your childhood friends? Did you hang out with mostly Asians or did you have a diverse set of friends? I actually did hang out with like the one or two Asians, you know, in my schools and, and ended up sticking close to them. Um, I, I think, so, so that was the interesting part, right? It's like me wanting to blend into American culture and, and my, my Caucasian white friends. Right. And, but yet still really only being able to connect with other Asians. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I did definitely hang out with like the one or two people that, okay. uh, 
in my schools. Hmm. I was asking that question because, you know, I was similar to you. I really wanted to assimilate, you know, fitting in um, was very, very important to me. And, you know, as I got older, we have a common friend, Rachel Alexandria, you know, like Mm -hmm. a concept that she brought up that I thought was very important was like fitting in and being accepted are like two totally different things, right? So, you know, if I was just myself and they accepted me, that'd be cool. But I was basically trying to fit in. So it's giving them different looks of myself and trying to figure out which one resonated the most with them. And in actuality, in, in like middle school and high school, you know, like I did have Asian friends, but you know, I, I think I went out of my way to have a diverse set of friends because I didn't want to be like, you know, I lived near Chinatown and I would notice like a lot of like the Asian people just hung out with other Asian people. And part of it was that I think part of it was not feeling confident enough in being an Asian male and wanting to be surrounded with, you know, the other cool races. And then finally, it wasn't until I got into college at UCLA where I started seeing like all these Asian clubs and different things like that, where I started getting, you know, more and more you know, like my uh, group of friends that I would party with. I mean, when I look at these pictures, I'm like, fuck, it's like 30 or 40 Asian people just going, <laughs> you know, rolling out to all these different areas. Like We definitely run in our packs for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of weird. You know, I went from having diverse to like being really like, you know, like just very hardcore Asian American. And then now, you know, just starting to let go of that a little bit more and, you know, seeing people for who they are. So I guess that was my really long convoluted way of asking you, like, when did you start, I guess, having this self-actualization that, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not so comfortable as an Asian male, because for me, I had that feeling, but I don't think I was aware of it until, you know, I was like in my early or mid twenties, you know, so I was curious about with you, you know, when did you have that self-awareness? Man, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I can really pinpoint a time. Um, I'd say, I'd say it was. So I, I'd say like I definitely had a very similar experience where, you know, during college was when I started, you know, trying to connect back to my Asian American roots and trying to. I, I even took Chinese, tried to relearn my language, um, and I think there was a lot of, you know, internal confidence uh, in, in connecting with other Asians to, you know, have that sense of belonging. Um, but in terms of, yeah, in terms of the question, you know, where was this self actualization? It's a really hard question to answer. I'd say, uh, something that happened in terms of just this journey that I'm on in terms of, you know, personal development, uh, is something I've always been, very interested in, you know, I love psychology, uh, and, and have done a lot of reading around that, but it's been really like accelerated in the recent years because of how I found myself in my workplace. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of what, uh, Asians are taught, you know, in terms of our values and how we behave and whatnot are not necessarily conducive for like, you know, traditional corporate culture where, you know, usually the loudest is the, the, the ones who get noticed, right. And gets promoted, promoted. And, uh, and I was definitely finding that I was getting left behind in that way. Um, both externally, but both like systemically and within internally from myself, you know, not having that confidence to be assertive, to, you know, to, to, uh, express my worth and to show value in that way. Um, And so finding myself kind of complacent in where I was and just letting life kind of happen, just going too much with the flow, um, I started realizing a lot of, you know, there was a lot of this passive behavior uh, within me that wasn't getting me what I wanted, you know, and not just with work, too, but with relationships, um, with, you know, with romantic relationships as well. Like I... Uh, you know, not knowing what I wanted left me a lot more susceptible to other people's, you know, wants and desires and values. Um, and that was kind of just kind of a hitting point for me. And, uh, then, you know, now there's a lot, 
more that goes into that, but that's kind of a, something I've noticed in the last couple of years was just this lack of um, lack of assertiveness around me in, in living my life with intention. You know, um, that really hit home with me because, um, you know, on the surface, I was a very boisterous and outspoken person. And a lot of it was just to gain attention, whether positive or negative. But, you know, there were some deep down things that I always wanted to express that I never expressed because I thought maybe it would be controversial. Some people wouldn't like me if I said these things. And ultimately, the conclusion that I came to, to uh, came to and, you know, based on like my own studies of psychology and uh, self-development, you know, it, it seems to have been validated by most people that have studied this is a lot of people, and I think this really applies to Asians, especially like the saving face culture, is that you're willing to put up with a lifetime of misery to avoid like a few minutes of pain, meaning like, hey, hey, Victor, like, I don't have time. Can you finish this project for me? And instead of just saying, no, I can't do the project, you're like, yeah, I'll I'll try to fit it in. So instead of being uncomfortable for that minute, you know, you you save yourself from being uncomfortable for that minute, but then you have hours of work to do afterwards, and you're yeah. basically like cursing that guy um, <laughs> that asked you. And you know, it was such a really um, eye opening thing for me to find out about myself because I think one of the traits that people tell me that they like about me is how they like, how easygoing I am, how amenable I am to things and how easy it is to just get along with me. And I think that after hearing that many times, I just adopted that as this is why people like me. This is what my self-worth is. And if I say anything that, you know, that they're not agreeable to, they're gonna like me less. And the interesting thing is once I came to that conclusion, I just started, you know, slowly practicing like, all right, well, today, I'm going to, instead of agree, you know, at least disagree once and speak my mind. And as I started just kind of, you know, started with the training wheels and started taking the training wheels off, what I've come to realize is people like me even more now, now that they know exactly where I stand. And it's not that I'm begrudgingly going to go get Taco Tuesdays with them just because I don't want to ruffle the, uh, or, or, or shake the boat, you know, but it's just like, all right, well, you know, Sabo doesn't want to go. He's not going to come and he's not going to feel bad about it. And life goes on. Right. So this was just something that was, uh, you know, as a 42 year old discovering this like a year ago, I, I thought like I, I would have learned that like in my early thirties and not have to wait till my forties to understand that, you know, there's something about being like, you know, sometimes you go with the flow because there's a big group and you don't want to ruin the plans. But then there's other times where you really just compromise yourself and do a bunch of things that, you're not really, you know, have a strong opinion to do or not do. So for me, you know, the rule that I've reminded myself of now is, you know, it needs to be like a hell yes or a hell no. If it's something in between, then it's probably something that I'm, you know, just don't have a lot of passion for either way. And just to like skip those things. And that's kind of been a good rule for me. So I guess I was curious, you know, as you're discovering these things about yourself, you know, how did you challenge yourself to kind of get out of this comfort zone of being agreeable or kind of passive and going along with everyone else? Right. That's, that's something is probably going to be a lifelong challenge, uh, and, and maybe a lot to uncover too. But, um, yeah, I was going to say too, like, that's something we've, or at least I've, learn to value too is being, you know, agreeable, um, you know, uh, and, and adaptable in that way. Uh, and, and I resonate with what you said too, is, you know, wanting others to like me based on like my way of easygoing, you know, and, um, and so kind of, so balancing that with learning to stand your ground and build that foundation and not be so, you know, um, it's just for lack of better words, this, this lack of spinal cord, right. Or lack of spine, like, um, is, is something I'm going to be constantly working on. Um, but maybe ask your question one more time. Yeah. So uh, ha have you, well, you said you're working on it, right? So yeah. my, my more kind of clear question is, 
you know, when you're working on it, like what are some of the specific things that you're doing to, to get out of your comfort zone and push yourself in this area? Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that I'm learning a lot about is, uh, the idea of emotional intelligence. Um, it's something I've become a lot more passionate about recently. Um, something I, I knew I had interest in or in, in a more intuitive level level, but didn't really have that language to, you know, describe it. So, um, so what emotional intelligence means to me is just having that understanding and, and acknowledgement of, of your own emotions and not just your thoughts, but just, you know, what, what are your feelings and what does that mean for you and, uh, what you care about? So I, I use emotional intelligence, AKA EQ, um, which I'll use to, to shorten that, but, uh, to learn a lot more about my own values. Um, that's something again is going to be a, uh, a lifelong process, but, um, you know, what, what is it that I really, that sparks the certain emotions about me, you know, like what, uh, what creates joy, what creates excitement? Um, and maybe what creates anger too, though, even having that awareness of, you know, I don't want to do this project for you or something, um, you know, because it causes a certain emotion that you can't necessarily, you know, uh, are, are comfortable or, or relate to in a way is, um, a good way to understand, you know, what really matters. Um, so anyway, yeah, just learning a lot about my own emotional intelligence and really increasing that vocabulary has been a, a good step in determining, you know, in, in building that foundation and how to say no to things, yeah. uh, well, I think that's a great answer. I mean, um, you know, living in Silicon Valley, I feel like if you talk about emotions too much, people are like, ah, oh, you're just a feelings person, you know, and yeah. like, like intellectual, uh, or IQ is so much more highly valued. And, you know, I think even at some point, you know, like if you're a conservative, you'll just say like liberals are just, you know, they just feel too much. That's why they're snowflakey. And, right. you know, and, you know, I kind of subscribe to that kind of method uh, or ideology for a little while where I thought, well, you know, you could feel something about something, but if you don't intellectually understand it, like your feeling could be could be wrong. And I always thought the intellectual understanding of something trumped the feeling. But, you know, I think that as I grew older and spoke to different people from, you know, different walks of life and, and what made them happy and what made them feel fulfilled is that, you know, you could almost intellectually play intellectual gymnastics with yourself enough to like validate or invalidate any thought. But you always have like this core raw like feeling, you know, that you have towards something. And someone used this analogy that feelings are basically a quick way to communicate with someone. Like when words take too long, you know, like for example, if you lived in, I don't know, a tribe a long time ago and there were people coming to rape and pillage your, your tribe, you know, like, just hearing people scream and then getting the feeling like there's danger, you know, and then running is a lot smarter than waiting for someone to say, hey, we're being attacked. Pack up all your stuff and run, right? So there's like these like very strong reasons for why we evolved feelings and how they were important for our survival and why we shouldn't just ignore or just, you know, kind of downplay the the feeling that we have because as you said you know you talked about it's it's you were improving your uh eq vocabulary and i believe that you know for asian men the one feeling that we all understand very very well is anger you know mm -hmm. very like that's the one thing i remember my dad being able to show you know like i could count the times on one hand i heard him say like i love you to my mom but <laughs> and he was very stoic unless he was angry and that was i think the one that we all kind of embrace as like it's kind of like a masculine energy but you know compassion empathy sympathy you know if you can master the vocabulary of these you know what i found is well i didn't realize how many people i was like keeping out by not 
embracing those other emotions. And now that I have, you know, I have just a much more diverse set of friends with a diverse set of ideologies. And I can, I could take in their information without judging them because I think I've gotten to a point of my emotional development where I could hear something that I don't agree with and not just completely shut myself off to those ideas like I used to, which before it was if I heard something that I didn't like that you said, I would just wait until you would finish talking. And then I would just be ready to like rebuke everything you said versus actually listening to the whole thing that you said, you know, and then rebuting. So that's just kind of like a little bit of, you know, my journey as far as understanding my own EQ, how I was using it, and then how it benefited myself as I grew older. I think that's huge too. You know, when, when you say like, uh, wanting to, you know, rebuke someone and, and, and getting in the way of listening too, because especially when emotions are very, it, it can definitely cloud a lot of how we see things. Right. And so being very familiar with anger, it's, um, whenever that emotion is sparked, that feeling it's, and you can definitely feel it within your body. It's, you start boiling, your head gets hot and, um, and you just want to like blurt out what you're, what you're feeling and what you want to say. And, um, in terms of conflict management, that gets in the way of really understanding other people's point of view. Right. Um, and so I, yeah, I, that's something I've, very familiar with. I was, I had a lot of, you know, anger moment, angering moments, you know, growing up. And I think a lot of people who know me now, uh, would totally be surprised by that, you know? And, um, it's really interesting to have that, uh, you know, that, that, that perspective, but, um, I don't even remember where I was going with that, but <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, no. It's okay. It, it yeah. all made sense. And, you know, like, um, I think people are going to extrapolate, you know, a lot of learnings from what you said. So one of the things that I was curious about was, you know, I mean, you know, in our few conversations that we've had with each other, you know, I know that you've been interested in self-development for some time, but you know, what I find interesting is, you know, there's, there's people that want to do self-improvement and self-development and a lot of them do it. I don't want to say in private, but you know, they're not, they're not broadcasting to the world. Like this is what I'm doing mm -hmm. because you know, it, it's a pretty vulnerable place to be. So I was curious, you know, for you, I mean, working on self-improvement and then kind of finding your own voice and then going, fuck it. I'm just going to do a podcast. You know, like what was like, was that, a quick decision? Was that a long decision? Like what made you want to make that jump where, you know, you're like, I'm going to share all of this with the public. Definitely. I, it was not a quick decision. <laughs> Definitely. Like I've sat on it for, uh, many months, um, because of that fact, right. I think especially with personal development and self-improvement, it being so, so vulnerable to in a way admit that there is something that you want to work on at a, at a very emotional and internal level is really hard to express to others because then it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, this is, this is all my own perception too. Yep, right. Yep. Like, and like, I remember I would be so embarrassed to like read these personal development books on the bus or something, you know, <laughs> I would like cover up the title cause it's like, uh, you know, like how to win friends and influence people. It's like, Oh, that guy's, that guy's like lonely or doesn't know how to make friends or something, you know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, there was definitely a lot that I had to battle in terms of almost, um, embracing or accepting, you know, where I was and what I wanted to do and what I was interested in. Um, I think there are, you know, there were a lot of perceptions around, um, around just mental health in general as well, right? Especially from both an Asian perspective and as a man's perspective where, you know, expressing these deeper emotions and uh, struggles are, is the last thing an Asian man would do I, I, based on my, you know, uh, uh, experience with other, other Asian men around me. So um, 
there were I definitely sat on you know creating the podcast for a while and uh, but you know before that too I had been writing so I started writing first and that was a really good way to at least organize my thoughts and really like you know uh, create a little more structure around what I wanted to express and um, and then started just jumping just kind of went in with the podcast. I I can't necessarily imagine a turning point per se. Well, I, you know, there's, I can't say that there's just one moment where I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Um, because I even recorded, there are so many other old recordings that I'm never going to publish as well. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, there was, maybe there was kind of a sense where I, I can't just hold this in anymore. I, I think there are, you know, a lot of other people that have similar experiences. And, um, and I think that's what attracted me to your guys' podcast as well, just because of the ability for you to be able to express so many different topics that were traditionally taboo for, for Asian Americans, right? You know, sex, psychedelics, cannabis, uh, you know, mental health, masculinity, like all of those things are things we don't talk about. And, only because of the perception of what that, you know, will say about us or, or how that is going to be reflected in, you know, um, in our identity. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, have even used your guys's podcast as some, some source of inspiration to, to release my own. Nice. Nice. That, that was the answer I was hoping for. Basically. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say at least two knuckleheads yeah. could do it. I could do it too. Yeah. Um, but you know what, you know, what's interesting about that is, um, number one, I'm glad you did it. You know, like there is, you know, when I was looking for other podcasts, people like us that were talking about these topics, like I couldn't find any, you know, I literally mm -hmm. couldn't find any. And that was one of the motivations. Cause you know, there's a part of me that, I mean, I, I love being in the spotlight, which is also why I don't like being in the spotlight. Cause I feel like I'm just feeding this, this, this dragon. But at the same time, I also realize like, this is really important shit. You know, like if I heard this, like while I was in college, it probably would have just saved me a lot of like just endless nights of me being in my head running all sorts of different scenarios of if I did this would that blonde girl like me or, yeah. you know, all sorts of crazy things. So, you know, one of the things that as I started becoming more and more comfortable with myself and what I was going to do in my life, you know, like six years ago now, you know, I, I made the mental decision like, you know, like I had this really great career in high tech, um, but I was going to just. You know, I just didn't feel like I was living true to myself and I was like, fuck it. You know, like I'm going to get into the weed industry. I smoke weed all day, every day. It's my number one hobby. Um, I know that at least in California with the younger people, no one really sweats it. But I also knew with my family, it would be like a huge, big ordeal that someone in their family is selling a schedule one drug. But at the end of the day, you know, I was like, man. You know, like if I keep thinking about external external factors and how they're going to think about it, then I'm still just in the same place I was when I was younger, which was, you know, how are these people going to perceive my actions? And that was like a really clear indicator. Like, you know, I've been standing at the ledge of this bungee thing for long enough. I got to just jump, you know, and I was curious for you, you know, now that you've been down this path for some time now, like, is there any big major change that you'd like to do with your life? Yes. <laughs> um, I remember like, you know, I think that it was a lot of value being, I'd say, I'd say projected onto me, right. In terms of security in terms of um safety and um that created a lot of risk averseness is that a word <laughs> risk? yeah just uh made me very risk averse and um and so i i saw myself you know going down that path uh, i think that resonates maybe with a lot of people too where i should just go buy a house get a safe job start a good career work up the ladder 
um, get married at 35, have some kids, you know, and, and, uh, it would be great. Um, and that of course is nice. And I also still do appreciate security. I think that's how we can really expand and grow from a place of, you know, feeling abundance as opposed to scarcity. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I think there was a lot missing in what I cared about. And that was, um, that was forms of expression and, um, an appreciation of, of art and beauty and, um, really experiencing the, the human experience. You know, I think that's where emotions have played or emotional intelligence has played a big role because rather than suppressing, you know, the, the negative side of things, um, you know, this, this sadness or the, the anger or the, um, loneliness or any kind of negative emotion. Um, I'm, I'm learning to accept that I, I do want to feel that because, you know, it's part of the human experience. And with this experience also can come out either a, a higher level of joy and excitement or positive emotion too. You know, I always imagine like a, a sinusoidal graph, right? Rather than staying at one, you know, horizontal level, sometimes we just have to dip down in order to experience the ups as well. So anyway, in terms of how that shows up in my life, it means having a lot more freedom and flexibility to have those emotions really um and really connect with others in not just you know my workplace but in so many other parts of my life you know um what i've been fortunate enough to be able to you know afford travel and it's something i've become very passionate about and i think that's the long-term goal for me is to create that flexibility to be able to travel a lot more, um, to, to learn from other cultures. And that's something I never thought I would ever imagine doing even just a few years ago, you know, where I was saying, I'm just going to be in this company, you know, work in technology and maybe create a cool product. But, uh, you know, that's, that's it. But instead I, I want to, travel. I want to create content. I want to share more human experiences with yeah. the world. So are, are you a software engineer then or? I actually did come from, yeah, a software development background. I was a web developer before and then went into more product management side okay. of things. But Ooh, yeah. product management, that's my favorite stuff. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Sure. I love it. Um, if I knew, <laughs> if I knew that was a, a actual job, I would have probably gone to school for doing stuff like that. Um, Definitely. Exactly. Uh, but, um, let me see. Oh man, you said a lot. Uh, there, there was, I wish I, <laughs> I, I jotted down all those things, but I think the one thing that really resonated with me was that, you know, well, one of them was traveling, you know, like I, I'm one of those guys, I hate being on an airplane, but I travel like once or twice a week. And, but every time I come back, I'm super happy, you know, and I, yeah. I, someone had once told me that, um, your biology is your firmware and your culture is your software. So if mm -hmm. you could travel to more places, then you have like more software apps of all these different cultures. Right. And you could become like a better, more well-rounded running machine. Like um, and the other thing that stuck out to me was, you know, I mean, I know you're creating products right now, but I've always felt that. You know, when I felt the best in my life was when I was able to properly express myself and then there were people there to listen to that message. And, you know, you talked about how you started off writing before you did the podcast. And for a lot of people, I think that's a powerful thing is like if you're not super articulate with your words, you know, just start writing. You know what to write. I don't know. Just sit down and start a sentence and, you know, write 10, 15 minutes a day. I feel like when you're, you know, you said it yourself, creating content, creating content is pretty fun. You know, like, like for the first year, Brandon and I did it. Only our friends downloaded the podcast, but <laughs> it was still fun creating content. Like we talked about a lot of things. And now when we look back and we look at how many downloads the earlier episodes are getting, we're like, oh shit, you know, all that work's being appreciated now. You know, it wasn't yeah. for nothing. And, you know, there's also a part of me, like when we're creating content, um, like I always feel like 
it's good to have a goal. Like we want to get to this or we want to get to that. But a lot of what we try to do is just like, you know, like I don't get to see my friends that often outside of work. So when Brandon comes over, we just free flow with each other, enjoy each other's companies. Like we have like a really rough guideline of stuff that we want to talk about, but we try not to make it too structured where we're not like these expressive versions of ourselves. And, you know, now I don't know what my point is. I feel like I'm rambling on, but you know, like, like I said, you said a lot of like really interesting things. So I'm just kind of going through them in sequential order in my head of like what I thought. And ultimately, you know, um, you know, like, I know you want to help people. I know you want to share your story, but you know, like if I gave you a magic wand and said human up could be anything you want it to be and you can make a wish, what would you like human up to represent? Wow. I appreciate that question. Um, I think human up, like, yeah, you know, I I think I, I called it human up for the reason of it's, it starts from the place of, it was kind of a play on the phrase man up a lot, uh, or, yeah, play on the phrase man up where uh, I've been told that a lot and that gets into the whole topic around, you know, masculinity and whatnot. But rather than just manning up, why don't we human up instead? Right. And uh, that sounds really cheesy, but <laughs> like I actually uh, like the name of the podcast like a thousand times more now that I know it's a play on man up, you know, because awesome. it, it's yeah. it's a very smarter way of just being like, well, like you're saying man up, what does that actually mean? You yeah. know, like we're all trying to improve. So human up to me, it's, it's brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. And so what I imagine it to be is not just a podcast, but just a, a place where um, we can all learn to, you know, be better humans to, to be, cause we are all very social, emotional beings. Um, and yet we've lacked these tools to really manage these emotions or to be able to connect with others and socialize in that way. Um, and then, you know, there was a point too, that you mentioned a while back, just this, the sense of wanting to, um, kind of do everything on your own and be independent. So that's something I'm, I'm also battling as well, where rather than, thinking that you do have to do it alone um to 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 learn how to work together as as a team as as humans right you know cavemen and back in the day like we were if we were to be one-on-one with a, a creature or a beast we'd have definitely lost right and the only way we survived was by working together and so it's interesting that we've as society progressed that we've you know lost this um this this almost need to work together uh but that's that's the idea right it's um to create a space where people can learn to better to be better humans you know um i don't know exactly what that looks like i I think in terms of my content it's more just creating this awareness around our emotions and um you know just providing that space for people to experience these things, um, whether that be through entertainment or, or, you know, fun, uh, joyful things, uh, or just through experiencing the deeper, more profound topics that are hard and uncomfortable, but so worth it in the end. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And for us, you know, like when um, Brandon and I were talking about the ham podcast, you know, like we've actually talked about to the point where I told them, you know, like when I sell um, Hanu Labs, like I, I'd be willing to, you know, purchase a facility, make it like the ham like podcast institute of learning or something where, you know, people can learn like how to move their bodies. They could learn engineering. They could learn about psychedelics. They could basically learn how to be a better human. But the way we wanted to set it up was that you guys don't come and just learn from the teachers, but the teachers are also here to learn from you. You know, like the world is changing really rapidly. Like when I talk to like Gen Z folks, you know, I'm from the Gen X. Um, like I could still relate with millennials when I speak with like Gen Z folks, like, <laughs> you know, like one of my nieces was like Sabo or uncle Sabo. Like, I know you didn't mean to, but in the last five minutes, you've committed over five different microaggressions. And I'm like, really wow. me, you know, and she explained them to me. And I was like, shit, you know, like those are dumb rules. But then I kind of flash forwarded to like me being 70 years old and saying, these are dumb rules. And then just being like that 
old dude that's part of the Me Too movement saying, yeah, well, when I was younger, these things were all okay, right? So, you know, when I was thinking about this place, I was like, we need to like really emphasize like neuroplasticity where, you know, even the teachers are really open to learning more things because, you know, me being in my 40s now, when I, when I first hit my 20s, I was like, man, I was such a dumb teenager. And then when I hit my 30s, I was like, dude, I was a fool in my 20s. And then now <laughs> that I'm in my 40s, you know, I look back to my 30s and I'm like, yeah, I was a little bit smarter than in my teenage and 20s, but you know, that guy was still pretty foolish compared to this version and there's no now at this point when I hit 50, there's no illusions that I'm not going to think like me in my 40s was like a really less evolved version of me in my 50s. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, if we did something like that, like we would still continually be open to growing into new ideas so that we don't become like these people that say, well, this is the best way to do it. The only way to do it, look at Mm -hmm. us, right? And so I guess, you know, this was another one of my long stories to get to the question I wanted to ask you, which was, um, you know, I kind of came to that conclusion because, you know, like I said, like my niece kind of like just opened my eyes to the fact that even though I thought I was super liberal and progressive, you know, I was saying things like like the word young lady is like apparently like a rude way to address um, younger girls these days. Uh, yeah. Uh, so um, I guess for you, you know, all the people that you've interviewed, um, you know, is there like one learning that like really stood out to you that you'd like to share with everyone right now? Wow. Um Okay, as you think there's, about there's it, a lot. Yeah. think about it and I'll share one of them. And I can't remember which one of your guests it was, but it was basically like the concept of if you're trying to be a high achiever or perfect, you know, on the surface it looks great, but in reality it's just you're still looking for outside validation to change the way mm-hmm. you internally feel. So, you know, for someone like myself that's a CEO, like um Society rewards me for when I say, I only slept four hours last night and I'm ready to grind. Or society rewards me for, you know, doing all these things that are piss poor for my health, but allows us to hit deadlines. So, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, fuck, you know, like I always thought I was just this really self-motivated guy that was striving for more. In reality, I'm just looking for acceptance from white people. I'm looking for acceptance from my dad. You know, this is why I run a company. And I had to really change that thinking because, um, well, when you are externally motivated, if that external motivation doesn't motivate you anymore, then what are you left with, right? So for me, I had to switch to like, This is really like I'm doing this for my family. You know, everything about this business, the money, the ideation, the products, like this is for the betterment of my family. And I knew that this would be something, this type of motivation would never change, right? Like wanting to fit in with white people. Well, at some point, if I don't care, then then that motivation is gone, right? And I could argue probably like I'll always want my dad to be proud of me. But, you know, that shouldn't be the reason why I decided to be a CEO of a company, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, hearing that, you know, it really, what I realized was I was just playing a deeper layer of bullshitting myself and I needed to get deeper to find the truth. And once I found the truth and I was able to change my motivation from impressing other people to being the best dad and provider for my family that I could, you know, I was just able to make way better decisions. You know, when investors were like, why'd you do that or this? You know, I'd be like, because it's best for the company, you know, and not best for you as the investor. Whereas before, when an investor would ask me something like that, I'd be like, well, what decision do you think would have been better? You know, and just kind of like kowtow and just be like, now I'm like, fuck it, dude. I know way more about this shit than you guys. You guys just want a monthly report from me. So if you guys don't understand, you guys do your fucking homework before asking me because you're wasting my time from building your money. So anyways, Mm. that was kind of like the thing that I heard on one of your podcasts that I said really impacted like and changed the way that I thought. And, you know, and what was surprising was like, I never had thought I had those issues till I heard that. And then I had to just, you know, like I said, peel back the layers of the onion until I found, you know, what was really bothering me and what I had to fix. And that was my motivations for being a CEO. Man, and I appreciate you saying that. And I'm glad that that helped you kind of, you know, 
think through that a little more or see a different perspective because I think that's huge um what you said around you know battling the between internal and external motivations um a lot of times yeah you'll get all these people other people saying or, or projecting onto you what is supposed to be important or or uh priority or you know what you should or or have to do and um and to to summarize that that would be one of my learning points is really really like filtering through what is a internal motivation versus an external you know and and that's really difficult to do um because you know you could even think about how money might be an external motivation but having the security around money could be an internal one so it's it's a lot to balance there but um just being able to you know separate what it is someone else is projecting onto you versus what it is that you really care about so having that self-awareness um is is important yeah. in uh in in just any sort of personal development okay cool cool so we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour and you know yeah. i like to keep these things about an hour but um you know one of the things that i've noticed in myself and you may have noticed this in the podcast that I do with Brandon is that, you know, we always like to kind of leave off with something actionable to do because, you know, for myself, like I'm a pretty voracious reader. Like I like to consume a lot of information. And there was a period where I got really good at like reading stuff, telling people about the ideas that I read about and never doing any of those mm -hmm. things, you know, just kind of being like the, the understander of the strategy. And, you know, I think meditation was one of those things that I could easily point out, which was, I understood the value of it. I knew all the different types of meditation. I would recommend it to people. And then I just never meditated myself, you know? Yeah. And so I'm telling you that story because uh, once I started meditating and sitting um, with myself um, and letting the passage or the thoughts just pass through, you know, that was when I was first able to start seeing the difference between what does society want Sabo to be versus what does Sabo want to be? Mm -hmm. So I guess in these last, you know, five to 10 minutes or so, you know, like you, you, you just, uh, uh, talked about a lot of brilliance and magic. And so what do you do to help you understand, you know, what does Victor want versus what does, what does Victor think society wants from Victor? Yeah. Um, one, one exercise I really like is to, do uh, just a quick Google search of uh, core values, right? And you'll get a big list of all the different things that uh, that that consists as a value. Um, and going through and really identifying which ones pop out for you, you know, and and that's huge for self awareness. That's huge for understanding what you really care about and and what to really lean in towards. Cause I think not having that understanding of, you know, of what to really stand behind, I think is the source of a lot of why there's discrepancy between, you know, who we think we have to show up and, and, and how we are actually showing up in, in our lives, in our work, in our relationships. Right. So not having a solid foundation of those values, um, uh, creates a lot of misalignment in that. So yeah, a good exercise is to really identify those values and, and, um, and then understanding why you care about those and not just because that it was your, your dad who wanted you to, to do that or your parents or society telling you that that's important. Yeah. Oh uh, man, I, I love that suggestion and I'm going to, I'm going to take it and kind of build on top of it because, you know, I think understanding your own core values and some people might not even know what selection of core values they could select from. So doing the Google search and kind of understanding, you know, what are the base principles that a lot of people find as core beliefs is important. But, you know, one step be beyond that, I think is, and, you know, let's bring up Rachel again. You know, Rachel, are you familiar with the Enneagram by any chance? I am, yeah. Okay, okay. So um, I know Rachel uh, uh, helps people discover their type, but I believe, you know, for me, the Enneagram was one of the, one of the best things I ever did for self-discovery, you know, like 
prior to that, I have taken like the Myers-Briggs and a whole bunch of other personality tests that work had me do to figure out, you know, how could Sabo make more money for us, right? But not necessarily, you know, what makes Sabo tick and what makes him happy, right? So, you know, what I discovered about my Enneagram type, which was, I think it's a seven, either seven or eight. Basically, it was the guy that's always looking for like the most fun, you know, um, and the guy that avoids like pain at all costs. And so basically what I came to realize, you know, through learning those things was that, you know, like I used to wonder like, you know, how come everyone at a funeral is crying except for me? I must be like a sociopathic piece of shit or something. And what I realized was anytime something negative would happen, I would automatically think of like something good. You know, like, for example, if you got fired, I'd be like, well, you've been complaining about that job. So this is actually a good thing, right? And just reframe it in this positive way. And many times being optimistic is very good, you know, but there are times like when my dog passed away last year, you know, I always use this example because, you know, most people that have dogs, you know, understand like it's part of your family. But, you know, the second like my dog passed away, I just started rationalizing like, well, he was 14, you know, pit bulls usually only make it to 11 or 12. You know, he lived two extra years with us, you know, while he was living with us, you know, he's never had to, you know, remotely get into close to a fight. So for his breed, you know, like, you know, he was with a really good owner. And I was just coming up with all these reasons that I wasn't sad that he had died. Right. And then I quickly realized, oh, this is just my type you know, doing what I usually do, which is to avoid pain. And ultimately, when I came to that realization, you know, I just allowed myself to cry. And at first, it felt really uncomfortable. Then I got into the crying and it felt like super cathartic to let everything out. And then I realized, fuck, all these times I could have let this shit out that I just kept internally, like my back pain went away, my neck pain went away. I was sort of like really understanding like how keeping a lot of the like, keeping the emotions under wrap, like it will, it will show up in like physical pain, you know? And I also know this by working with professional athletes that undergo certain types of surgeries where they think their knee or ankle is not as strong. And it's all psychological that, you know, they can't cut on that leg as much. And, you know, really working through the psychological portion was important. So, you know, that's why I thought, man, you know, if you could figure out your Enneagram type, You know, it'll show you like a lot of your tendencies. It might not be exact, but you'll start understanding like, oh, okay. You know, like once I understood my wife's type, then I could understand like how not to trigger her, how to frame things in a way that she would be open to. And ultimately, you know, all this goes back to, like you said, you know, what does Victor want versus what does Victor think society wants from him? And I think once you could figure out your core values, your Enneagram type, you know, I always think of these things as like cliff notes because sitting still and meditating and going, how do I feel? That shit gets boring. And it's when you don't see like, you know, some reward from it, you know, like myself, I think I had told you I meditate. I tried meditating for seven years before I finally broke through. And, you know, I think most of it was because I was always telling people like how great meditating was based on the research that I, I plowed through it. But if I hadn't been doing those things, I think I would have just given up like a month into it. So anyways, um, that was my, my last thing. Do you have any last words to say to the human up or, the ham podcast audience that is listening that, you know, is top of mind that you want to get off your chest right now? Well, I love all that you said. And and what that made me think of is just the importance of relationships, right? Of, of being able to, that yes, there is a lot of that you can do on your own. Of course, you know, the, the self-reflection and understanding our values and, you know, all that stuff, but really putting that into practice with how you show up with people. You know, and and so uh, also at the same token, like uh, figuring out ways to um, not not sorry if my dog is <laughs> my my roommate's dog is barking too loud, but um, that's yeah, the best just, part just, about podcasts. You, you you haven't heard the episodes where my mom comes in? Yeah, <laughs> she's like, you yeah, guys no. are smoking weed in here. I was like, yes, oh yeah, I'm an adult. I'm okay. I can smoke yeah. weed here. <laughs> we're just talking to people over the internet okay yeah yeah we're just no, running but, a show uh, yeah um anyway yeah so anyway yeah just just you know of course there's a lot of internal reflection but make sure to to really connect with others too i'd say is the is the parting words that i have 
Awesome. Well, you know, my parting words are I'm super glad like we met, you know, doing the podcast, you know, connected us. I think between you, I, whoever, however many other people hear this, where it resonates with the, uh, this message resonates with them. You know, I tell them the same thing, which is what I tell other people that are in the cannabis industry is we got to talk about these things. If we keep them to ourselves, nothing will ever change. And when you authentically express yourself, just be ready that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be uncomfortable with the things that you say. And that's where the real courage comes in, which is to keep saying those things, even though you and I have already mentioned, you know, we are people pleasers that like it when people like us. And, you know, it is work to be able to say those things with confidence and not feel like you just, well, at least for me, when I, I used to feel like when I told someone something that they didn't want to hear, like their entire day was ruined, you know? So, and that was only in my head, you know? So it was just shit that I would carry on. And yeah, so I'm super appreciative that we got together. You know, I know Brandon's super apologetic that he couldn't make it, but like I said, you know, life is, life isn't just one thing. It's a whole continuum of different experiences. And, you know, I hope we get to do this again in the near future. I would love that. Um, yeah, and it's great to connect. Um, I would, there's definitely a lot to dive into. I'm all about balance there. So, but, um, it's, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, Hey, before we let you go, Victor, how can people find the human up podcast? Yeah, you could go to anchor.fm slash Victor Ung. That's Victor U-N-G. Um, and then there will be links there to all the other platforms that you stream your podcast. Um, otherwise, you can go to victorung.com to learn more about me and all the other projects that I'm working on as well. Awesome. That's the easiest. victorung.com, happyasianmales.com. Uh, thank you very much for this episode, and I look forward to your next one. Yeah. All right. Thanks all again. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Human Up podcast and my interview with Sable Shen from the Happy Asian Males podcast. We definitely hit on a lot of different topics there, and so I hope it was somewhat helpful for you or or informative in some way. And if so, I really want to hear about it. I want to hear from what what you take out of this and um, or or any kind of thoughts or critiques or, you know, opposing arguments or anything that can help me really dive in deeper here uh, would be really helpful. Um, You can even send in your own audio sample or audio clip if you want at anchor.fm slash victorung slash message or you can find me on facebook or instagram and send me an audio message that way otherwise please stay connected with me and subscribe to my newsletter so you can get updates on new episodes and blog updates at victorung.com slash subscribe And doing so, you'll also get my 11 exercises that I've collected to jumpstart your own journey in developing emotional intelligence as well. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will talk to you next Monday.